Hello, friends. This is Jason Dooley, and you have tuned in to the Thinking to Believe podcast. This is a place where people can think and they can believe, and a place where thinking is believing. Last time, we discussed the Big Bang. We looked at the scientific affirmation of the Big Bang Theory. We looked at the significance of the theory. And then finally, we looked at the evidence. Like, Why is it that scientists have become convinced that the Big Bang did happen, that our universe had a beginning at the Big Bang? Today, what we're going to do, continuing in our discussion on the Big Bang, is look at the theistic implications of the Big Bang and how those theistic implications caused scientists to react to the theory. So let's start in looking at the theistic implications to the Big Bang Theory. When you think about the Big Bang, if it has a beginning, then it automatically invites the question of, well, what caused it? Because it is a metaphysical intuition that anything that begins to exist has a cause, and that's what the Kalam argument trades on. But the science, science is a discipline of study that is limited to the physical realm, which means it can only study physical things. But whatever caused the beginning of the physical realm itself can't be physical, which means it's beyond the domain of science. Science could never, ever identify the cause of the universe because Whatever the cause of the universe is, it's not something that's physical. So it's beyond the realm of science. It would have to be uh, philosophy or religion that would answer that question. Now, scientists like to try to be able to answer every question. (laughs) As time goes on, everything becomes a scientific issue, and scientists don't like having things that they can't answer. So this does create a problem for the scientific community. Thomas Nagel, himself an atheist philosopher, he recognizes this. He says, The existence of our universe might be explained by scientific cosmology, but such an explanation would still have to refer to features of some larger reality that contained or gave rise to it. A scientific explanation of the Big Bang would not be an explanation of why there was something rather than nothing, because it would have to refer to something from which that event arose. This something, or anything else cited in a further scientific explanation of it, would then have to be included in the universe whose existence we are looking for an explanation of when we ask why there is anything at all. This is a question that remains after all possible scientific questions have been answered. In other words, even if science could answer every question about the physical realm, this question here could not be answered by science. Nobel laureate physicist Leon Lederman, he echoed these sentiments in the book called The God Particle. He says, quote, in the very beginning, there was a void, a curious form of vacuum, a nothingness containing no space, no time, no matter, no light, no sound. Yet the laws of nature were in place, and this curious vacuum held potential. A story logically begins at the beginning, but this story is about the universe, and unfortunately, there are no data for the very beginnings. None. Zero. We don't know anything about the universe until it reaches the mature age of a billion of a trillionth of a second. 
that is, some very short time after creation in the Big Bang. When you read or hear anything about the birth of the universe, someone is making it up. We are in the realm of philosophy. Only God knows what happened at the very beginning. Now, I'm not sure of Leon Lederman's religious views, but my impression is he's not a theist and is using the phrase only God knows in a more colloquial sense. And I also would object to him saying that if, if people claim to know anything about the birth of the universe, they're making it up because we're now in the realm of philosophy as though philosophy is making stuff up. Um, but his point is, when a scientist is claiming to know what caused the universe, then they're making it up because scientists could never, by definition, know the cause of the universe because it's outside of the realm of their discipline. So if the universe encompasses all of physical reality, then the cause, of course, has to transcend physical reality. Well, that, by definition, is what we mean when we say something is supernatural. It's something that exists outside of this natural world. So whatever the cause of the universe is, it's a supernatural cause. Now, we often think of supernatural as being you know, divine, but it doesn't necessarily mean divine, but it definitely is supernatural by definition. Robert Jastrow, he's the founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. Not even sure if he's still alive, but I know at one point he sat in Edwin Hubble's chair at the Mount Wilson Observatory. And he wrote a book called God and the Astronomers. And here's what he had to say. Now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. The chain of events leading to man commenced suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time, in a flash of light and energy. So he's saying, what we're observing through our telescope, the evidence that we're finding, actually matches up with the biblical view. So he's recognizing that there are theistic implications that have a corollary in the biblical description of creation. In an interview, Jastrow said this, he says, astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is, no, I think, a scientifically proven fact. Even the physicist Sir Arthur Eddington, he admitted in response to the Big Bang, says the beginning seems to present insuperable difficulties unless we agree to look on it as frankly supernatural. So there is a recognition among philosophers, obviously, but even among scientists, that if there's a Big Bang, as Coco likes to say, it implies that there is a Big Banger. And that drew some opposition to the theory, because if you are an atheist and you're very comfortable in an eternal universe because you think that if the universe has always been there, then you don't need to explain its origin, and therefore you can avoid that whole God question. Now that there's a beginning, suddenly there arises in everyone the recognition that you need to explain how the universe came into being. 
And that implies some sort of non-physical cause because the universe is all the physical realities. You can't have a physical cause prior to the origin of physical reality. And so it looks like God is the explanation. Now, if you're an atheist, that's not an explanation you're willing to accept. And that's why the Big Bang Theory was immediately met with opposition. And it's why it took several decades and many lines of empirical confirmation before the Big Bang model became the reigning paradigm in science that, of course, it eventually became. But many scientists were wont to reject the theory simply because of its theistic implications. And I think the reason why they came to finally accept it begrudgingly was they were forced to do so on the pain of the evidence. They couldn't deny that all the evidence pointed to the fact that there was a beginning to the cosmos. British physicist and cosmologist Arthur Eddington, which I just referred to momentarily ago, he was the first to confirm that the universe had a beginning in 1919. And I believe his was based more on like the thermodynamic properties of the universe, if I'm not mistaken. But here's what he later wrote. He says, philosophically, the notion of a beginning of the present order of nature is repugnant to me. I should like to find a genuine loophole. I simply do not believe the present order of things started off with a bang. The expanding universe is preposterous. It leaves me cold. <laughs> but then in another place, he says, uh, quote, I feel almost an indignation that anyone should believe in it except myself. <laughs> so again, he understood the force of the evidence and he had to agree that the universe had a a bang. It started with a bang, but he did not want to believe that. He wanted to find a loophole. The idea of a, a universe that has a finite past, he found to be philosophically repugnant. In 1996, the late Stephen Hawking, here's what he said. He says, many people do not like the idea that time has a beginning, probably because it smacks of divine intervention. So here's a scientist. He he knows his scientific comrades and he knows what how they think. And he says, yeah, people don't like this idea because it seems like there must be a God. All right, back to Hawking. There were therefore a number of attempts to avoid the conclusion that there had been a Big Bang. Exactly right. Fred Hoyle, he was famously opposed to the Big Bang. And he had formulated with a couple of other guys an alternative theory called the steady state theory, which was a, a theory of the universe in which the universe is eternal. In fact, it was Fred Hoyle who coined the term Big Bang as a derision of the theory. And that uh, derisive description of the theory eventually stuck. And that's how we have come to know the theory today as the Big Bang. But here's what he wrote. He says, to many people, this thought process seems highly satisfactory because a something outside of physics can then be introduced at t equals zero or time equals zero. By a semantic maneuver, the word something is then replaced by God, except that the first letter becomes a capital G God in order to warn us that we must not carry the inquiry any further. So he recognized that theists immediately latch on to the Big Bang because it seems to demonstrate the existence of God. He, of course, was not happy about that. But he also realized that the theories claim that the universe popped into existence from nothing, that that was completely 
unsatisfactory. Here's what he said about it. He says, The most peculiar situation is taken by many astronomers to represent the origin of the universe. The universe is supposed to have begun at this particular time. From where? The usual answer, surely an unsatisfactory one, is from nothing. So he recognized that, you know, given the theory of the Big Bang, either God caused it, the universe to come into being, or nothing did. And he saw both as uh, undesirable and, and problematic, so therefore he wanted to avoid the beginning of the universe. Cosmologist Christopher Isham He says that, quote, perhaps the best argument in favor of the thesis that the Big Bang supports theism is the obvious unease with which it is greeted by some atheist physicists. At times, this has led to scientific ideas such as continuous creation or an oscillating universe being advanced with a tenacity which so exceeds their intrinsic worth that one can only suspect the operation of psychological forces lying very much deeper than the usual academic desire of a theorist to support his or her theory. In other words, there is a bias, there is a psychological motivation to come up with these alternatives, and it's because of the recognition of the theistic implications of the theory. To grow this ministry, I need your prayers as well as your financial support. So if you're benefiting from this podcast and you want to see more content, then partner with me by becoming a monthly supporter. Visit thinkingtobelieve.com slash support to give via PayPal, Venmo, or Zelle. Any amount, big or small, is greatly appreciated. Astronomer Royale, Martin Rees, he recalled his mentor's uh, dogged commitment to an eternal universe. Um, his mentor was Dennis uh, it's Schiama, it's S-C-I-A-M-A, Schiama. Um, and here's what he says. He says, for him, meaning Schiama, as for its inventors, and meaning this theory that Schiama had come up with um, about the history of the universe that was you know, a, in opposition to the Big Bang, he says, for him, as it's, for its inventors, it had deep philosophical appeal. The universe existed from everlasting to everlasting in a uniquely self-consistent state. When conflicting evidence emerged, Schiama therefore sought a loophole, even an unlikely-seeming one, rather as a defense lawyer clutches at any argument to rebut the prosecution case. Even in the face of contrary evidence, evidence that supported the Big Bang and went against his theory, he's saying his mentor kind of dug in his heels and still tried advocating for his theory in the same way that you're never going to hear a defense lawyer, you know, saying, oh, to the, to the prosecuting lawyer, oh, you, you made a good point. Yeah, that's right. And, and seating it. No, the, they continue to argue for their point, even when they know they're wrong. And this was Martin Rees's observations about his mentor's uh, commitment to, you know, some sort of model other than the Big Bang model. Frank Tipler had a similar experience. He says this, when I was a student at MIT in the late 1960s, I audited a course in cosmology from the physics Nobelist Steven Weinberg. He told his class that of the theories of cosmology, he preferred the steady state theory because, quote, it least resembled the account in Genesis, end quote, and full end quote. 
Robert Jastrow, that I mentioned earlier, he also observed that scientists were very uneasy with the Big Bang Theory because of its theistic implications. He says here, Theologians generally are delighted with the proof that the universe had a beginning, but astronomers are curiously upset. Their reactions provide an interesting demonstration of the response of the scientific mind, supposedly a very objective mind, when evidence uncovered by science itself leads to a conflict with the articles of faith in our profession. It turns out that the scientist behaves the way the rest of us do when our beliefs are in conflict with the evidence. We become irritated, we pretend the conflict does not exist, or we paper it over with meaningless phrases. I love this this quote. And of course, this is coming from a guy who is in the scientific community, but he recognizes something that many people today don't about scientists, namely that they are not Dr. Spock. They are not neutral observers who just report on the data. They come to the data with certain philosophical points of view, with certain biases, certain religious biases, either for or against religion. Um, there's been scientists who've described you know, the reasons why they go in science, because they did not believe in God and did not want to believe in God and wanted to find justification for that belief, because they believed that science could justify it. So people have all sorts of motivations um, and biases that can skew the science that they perform. So a scientist, just because he has a white lab coat on, doesn't mean that he's immune to these normal human problems. So I think he's very observant here in how scientists you know, responded to the Big Bang Theory and the uneasiness in which they greeted it. And, and of course, they also greeted it with uh, derision and rejecting it um, because they did not want to accept its theistic implications. Now, initially, uh, scientists just denied that the universe needed a cause. I'm not saying every single scientist, but that was one of the reactions, saying, well, okay, fine, you know, we'll make our peace with the Big Bang, but it just doesn't need a cause. And that same line of thinking fuels the people who oppose premise one of the, co- the cosmological argument so vehemently today. You know, they'll say, well, it's not true that everything that begins to exist has a cause. But the causal principle, as we've already discussed, is one of the most basic intuitions that we have. Things don't just pop into existence completely uncaused from absolutely nothing. So why would we think that the universe did? If everything that begins to exist has a sufficient cause that we're aware of, then on what grounds would we accept the universe? Now, you might accept it on the basis that it's impossible to have a cause prior to the first event. But if you do so, I think you're just guilty of begging the question in favor of atheism, because you're assuming that physical reality is the only kind of reality, and thus the only kind of possible cause for the Big Bang has to be a physical cause. And if there is no physics before the Big Bang, well, then there can be no cause. Or saying, well, there can't be any time prior to the origin of the universe, therefore there's no time in which you could have a cause. But all that presupposes naturalism or atheism, because if there is other realities that are not physical, then there could be a cause beyond the physical realm that caused the universe. And if there is a God whose nature is includes time, then there would also be time before the beginning 
Um, and there's other ways too of working all that out. But the point is, is that you just beg the question if you assume that there can't be a cause because all that there exists is physical reality. That's what's in question here. In fact, that's what the Kalam cosmological argument challenges with its conclusion that there is a transcendent God who caused the universe to exist. The only way that you could demonstrate that the universe cannot have a cause is if you could demonstrate that the existence of some sort of eternal, non-physical reality like God is impossible. But, like I say, the very beginning of the universe itself is an argument for such a being's existence, so you can't just presuppose that there can't be a God. You have to demonstrate that there could not be a God or some sort of cause to the universe that is eternal and non-physical. That'll do it for today. I'm going to wrap this podcast up a little early. Uh, but next time, we're going to look at Christians' objections to the Big Bang. It's not just scientists who've had reservations to the Big Bang, but Christians themselves. We're going to look at that and then we'll be looking at the acceptance of the theory uh, from scientists, as well as challenges that have been raised against the Big Bang um, since it has become the standard model. So tune in next time for that. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.